0: Go. There was a buzzing. We were trying to get rid of that. Welcome to Providence Road. We are really, really glad that you're here with us. If you have come in the last couple of months or if this is your first Sunday with us, my my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, I've been away for a couple of months on a pastoral sabbatical for June and July. So I want to start by just thanking, um, especially our covenant members, for. Uh, your generosity and your support to allow me to get away and step away from my regular duties here at Providence Road for a couple of months just to rest and refuel and do those kinds of things. Sorry, we'll, we'll get that worked out. Um, we, uh, just to give you an overview of kind of where we've at, we've had several questions. Hey, what, what did y'all do? Where did y'all go? Quick overview. Uh, we spent the month of June in California with Nicole's parents, Northern California, and we used their house as a home base. We went on several little trips um, from there, but that was uh, kind of the cheapest option to give us the most time away in a, in, in a specific place to just allow us to rest. July, we came back just as the oppressive Oklahoma heat was coming back. Um, thankfully, we t- timed that bad. Um, came back and really spent the the month of July doing projects around the house that um, we've been putting off for a long time, just spending a lot of really good time with family, my wife, Nicole, my son, Jax, just normal everyday life, getting to spend time together. And it was really, really good. And we also tried to get back into some healthier rhythms of eating and exercise and sleep and those kinds of things. So that's kind of how we spent the last couple of months. and really, the the reason why the sabbatical took place is it, it was recommended by pastors outside the church. Every so many years, it's good to do this for a couple of months. But personally, it was really because I was I was tired, I was unhealthy um, in, in a lot of ways, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and I was just running on empty and really needed to to, to step away and um, relax and renew and just just rest and so it was it was really good that was accomplished and um the lord did um, a lot and we'll, we'll get into that here in a second um i think there were three things that were really good about it first time with family i already mentioned that um we got to spend a lot of time together and i realized by getting to spend all that time together i realized how much i don't get to see them in my normal rhythms of life so it was really really good to just reconnect and be present with nicole and jacks that was awesome um, the, the second one I would say is we, we just, the good thing about being gone is we realize how much we missed our friends here at Providence Road and how much I think we do take that for granted because this is, this is work for me. This is my life. This is our family's life. And sometimes the friendships, I think we, we just take those for granted and we, we miss those. But the thing we missed the most about being away was not getting to see people. It wasn't the work, it was the people. And so I just thank you for the friendship in our life. And the third piece of this, which we'll talk more about, really where this kind of sermon's going, is we've done some really intense counseling. I've got some counseling. Nicole has been a part of that. And it's been so good for this counselor to walk me through my junk and my tendencies and the things that kind of put me in a place of unhealth. And Nicole was right there with me walking through these things. And it was really, really good. And um, I hope some of the things that I share today in the sermon will help you um, as I process through really just out loud. And hopefully this will be a benefit to you guys as we move through the sermon. And, and I'm not going to go into detail on everything uh, that happened or what the Lord did. I'm going to try to hit some high points. But the, the biggest thing in all of this is that there are no quick fixes. Anything I'm going to talk about today, I, I'm, I'm realizing um, that there are just no quick fixes when it comes to spiritual growth there just aren't it's 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 uh what one author said a long obedience in the same direction is what discipleship is and i'm just i'm learning that and so um everything we talk about today isn't something that happens overnight and i'm not fixed i'm not like back and i'm completely healthy now and i have like a superman capable and that's not that's not me right now like i've i've kind of i think i've moved to off a road onto a different road and now i'm just taking some baby steps in the direction and hopefully i can do what I'm doing for the next 30 years um, without um, kind of tearing my family apart or wrecking my health and those kinds of things. And so that is what this is going to be about. I know this is a long introduction, but I wanted to just give uh, just an overview of, of, of where I've been and kind of where we're going today. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, I, I thank you for this time. And as we move around a little bit in your word today, I pray that you would change us on the spot and we trust that uh, these are the very, your very words. When we open the text and we study the text, we're hearing your words. And we trust that. We trust that those, this, this word has authority and it's sufficient and it can bring change to our minds, to our hearts, to how we, um, how we live. And right now, we just want to put ourselves under your word and under your authority to do what you will with us in this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I want to begin by making this statement. We made this before here, but it's really important to keep it in, in front of us. That you are, we all, so all of us, but talk to you, you are being transformed and being formed all the time. The culture, the world we live in, the things around us, are, we're, they're forming us into someone. We're all like kind of lumps of clay and we're being formed into something. The culture is pressing around on us and the world we live in, and it's moving us in a certain direction. We're being formed all the time. And for some of you, that may be hard to hear, and you may be the type of person who says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm my own person, not, not nothing or no one has that much power over me, I've got this, I'm in control of my life. But I would just ask you the question and kind of push back on that is, how did you get to be the way you are today? Like, yeah, maybe some of it was, was you, you were born this way or maybe some of it's come from your DNA, your genetics. Yes, but, but for however many years you've been alive, your surroundings, your environment, those things are, have really made you into the person you are today. So I think we have to understand that all the time we are being formed, this clay is being formed into someone, and we can't be in this neutral position where we say, hey, we're, we're, it's either, you know, I'm going to be formed into Jesus, maybe, or, or, or I'm going to be neutral. There's no neutrality here. It's either we're being formed into Jesus or we're being formed into something else. Something we're in, the, the, this is the water we swim in. We're swimming in this culture. We're in the culture. This is where and how we live. Example, take technology. Okay, a lot of studies coming out recently about cell phone use, and internet, and just the access to information. And these studies are showing that these things are actually rewiring our brain. It's changing the way our brain functions because we have information at the tip of our fingers we can get to in 10 seconds at any time. So we don't have to memorize as much anymore. We don't have to search and think through problems in our heads. We We don't use our brain as a muscle as much as we do everyone, because everything's at our fingertips. Just a small example of how something so simple as a smartphone is actually changing who we are biologically. It's crazy to think about. And that's just one example. There are many, many other examples of this that are happening around us all the time. As I've had time to reflect over the past couple of months, there are a few other things that I think are pretty common in our culture that that press in on us, that we're kind of, I think that form us, maybe without us even thinking. Something like success, the pursuit of success and achievement at all costs. Maybe that describes some of you in here. Maybe some of you who are students and grad students that the pursuit of success just drives you. All you can think about is succeeding, acing that thing, being the best at this and setting goals and achievement are okay, but when it becomes um, when it comes at a cost to your health, to your family, to your friendships, it's probably become a problem. Another one's comparison. Comparing ourselves to others. And i I'm, I'm come to the, the, the belief that there's nothing about comparing ourselves to others that look, that causes us to look more like Jesus. There's only two things that come out of comparison. One, you compare yourself to someone else, and whatever it is you're comparing, maybe you feel like you're better than that person, and now you become self-righteous, and you're really hard to be around, because you just think you're better than these people. So that's one thing, one way comparison can form us, but usually it happens that we compare ourselves to someone, what they have, what they look like, how good they are at something, and it just brings a sense of inadequacy inadequacy washing over us, and we are, feel guilty shameful. We're hard on ourselves. So we medicate. We work harder. We look to other things to satisfy us because the standard is some other person and we can't live up to it. And neither one of those things lead us closer to Jesus or make us look more like Jesus. I think the third one is that I've been thinking about is distraction. We live in the most distracted age and culture in the history of the world. There are more stimuli coming at us that, that, to us as humans in any other time in history. So, how are we handling that? Are we just kind of going with that flow? And this is going to, we're just going to be distracted people for the rest of our lives and not really be able to, to, to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? To sit in silence, to really understand what makes us tick as people, makes us think about why do I do what I do? How do I how did I become who I've become today? And those questions can only be answered, in my opinion, if you remove distraction. So one of my main goals for really the rest of the time today is just for us to take a step of, of awareness to become, just, just to know that these things are out there and they are trying to form us, trying to cause us and move us in a certain direction. And they will do so unless we take some, take some intentionality to do things differently. So I'm going to start broad for the rest, for, for, um, at the beginning here, and I'm going to move down, um, kind of narrow it down to things. And at the end, I want to give some very practical things that I think have, have begun to help me work through some of these things. The question that has really bothered me, that I think we should all maybe be asking ourselves over the last couple of months is, how did I get to this place? Like, how did I get to this place of unhealth? And it, it kind of came out of nowhere, in some sense, I'm a pastor, seminary grad, have a pretty good grip on the Bible and theology and truth, but yet I was a mess inside. some bad habits, unhealthy in a lot of ways. And I think this brings us back to that idea of formation. And formation is in the word transformation. and transformation is the word that the New Testament, one of the main words the New Testament uses to describe spiritual growth. The big theological word for that is um, sanctification, the process of looking more like Jesus. So when we talk about being formed in the biblical sense, we're talking about being formed into the image of Jesus. So built into this word is formation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled, fa- unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This verse kind of lays out the ideal. This is is what should be happening. This is kind of where we're moving as followers of Jesus. If we have the Holy Spirit, that we're being conformed more into his image as time goes on. But like I said before, there are things that are trying, I think, to prevent us from doing that. There are barriers um, to us from experiencing that. I think the Bible gives us a clear process on how we're transformed. And it starts with the gospel. I want to start here because we always start here and we never want to assume the gospel. Um, It says we come into a relationship with Jesus when God changes our heart and we repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. This is how we come into relationship with Jesus. God changes our heart. Listen to Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. repent and believe the gospel. Listen to Paul, a leader in the early church, talk about the importance of the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, which is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we need to keep this in mind before we move to, uh, as we move forward through the rest of our time today. We start with the gospel. We never assume the gospel. The gospel is the way we are saved. And it's something we can't just uh, uh, push aside. It's now the foundation for everything we talk about. So it doesn't go away. So keep that in mind as we move uh, move through um, the rest of the the text we're going to look at today. Turn to Mark 12 in your Bibles. We're going to spend some time here or get there on on your app. And the words will also be on the screens to um, left and right here. This passage is well known. But it's, it's very important. And oftentimes with well-known passages, sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. I got that one. But I want us to stop and really think about, it's, it's a really simple passage, but it, it's vitally important. So here's the background. Um, Jesus' ministry is picking up steam. It's picking up momentum. The religious leaders feel threatened, and they uh, kind of send their their, their top uh, A-plus students, the scribes who know the law really, really well, to engage Jesus and try to trick him, ask him some questions, try to show him to be um, inadequate in front of all these people who are now following him. Jesus handles this exchange really, really well in chapter 12. And then in verse 28, one of these scribes kind of is going to, it seems like he's going to kind of step out a little bit and ask Jesus a question. And here we'll pick up in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now, more context here. There are 613 Old Testament laws, commandments, okay? And the scribe that approached Jesus would have known these very, very well. And what he's asking Jesus to do is to say out of 613 things on this list, give me the top one. Like I want to hear it. I want to know what's the greatest one. And Jesus says, and this is, it's a, it's a, it's a command that was given in Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting this. But when Jesus says this, we should all kind of lean in. I can imagine the crowds there when Jesus says, there's one commandment greater than 613. I think everybody would have stopped and like, oh, Wow, okay, so there is one that's greater than all the others. We should listen to this. So we should as well. And this is, he's saying here that this is what it means to be a disciple. is really just, just boiling it all down. What is a disciple? It's someone who loves God, loves Jesus, loves the Holy Spirit, loves the triune God with everything. That's what it means to be a disciple. And why do we love him? Because he first loved us, which is why we started with the gospel. The good news is that, He made the first move. He died for us, lived for us, rose three days later so that we can believe and be accepted before God. He loved us in this way. And because of that love, we now love him with everything. This is what it means to be a disciple. So if our goal is to be transformed into the image of Jesus, we need to listen to this commandment. We need to understand it. We need to remember it. And you notice the four things he uses here. I think Jesus is, he uses these four words, heart, soul, mind, and strength on purpose. One purpose is that he's trying to make sure he gets all of the human person. Like you can't, that that covers everything. When Jesus says those four things, there's not a part of us that we can say, ah, he didn't really say that part of me. No, he covered it all. And thinking through those four things, and he's saying, love the Lord your God with everything. And I don't think he's saying, hey, be perfect all the time. I mean, it's not a bad thing to shoot for, but we're all gonna fall short of that until we get to heaven. So I think what it really means is is there's not a place, there's there's a scope that all of your person, all of your being, should be gradually being conformed into the image of Jesus. And he wants to change all of us, not just part of us. There aren't places that we can say, no, this one's mine. I'll follow you in all these places, but I'm going to keep this one back here because I want to do this. No, that's not what this commandment says. Now, as I've discovered recently, there are some deep places in me that I've kind of not given to God. God has not changed. They've been um, oh, I've overlooked them; they're blind spots. However you want to say it, I've just realized there's some places that I haven't really allowed. I think the Spirit to do the work in me, and I've realized that over the last, I think, several months. Do you have those places as well? Have you thought about that? Do you reflect on those things? Can you stop the distractions long enough to allow yourself to go there? And it's scary. Initially, if you haven't done this in a while, you're going to want to distract yourself with something, even reading your Bible, because at least there's some stimuli and you're trying to figure out the text instead of just figuring out who you are, what's bothering you, what's going on inside of you. Again, we are always being formed our family of origin, how we were raised, what our mom and dad were like. Do we have a mom and a dad? Were you abused? Were you neglected? All of those things make us who we are. And part of this is just understanding that's, that's who we are. That's our, that, those are our experiences and our experience form us. And the question that kind of we run into, I think, when you start thinking about how is there hope to change? Like, that's a lot. This is complex. I've got a lot of baggage. I'm a mess. The good thing is you, if you're in Jesus and you've professed faith, you've already been accepted. He's accepted you at your worst. There's nothing you can do to change that. So he says, love the Lord your God with everything. And now we get to do the fun process of looking more like Jesus. Jeremiah 17, 9. um, I imagine Jeremiah reflecting maybe on his own life here. And he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. He didn't say many things. He said all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? So obviously he's saying that we have, we have sick hearts. It's called sin, okay? We have sin and we have our flesh. And even with the spirit inside of us, we're still broken and messy people. And then he says, it's just like, who can understand it? Like, this is so complex. This is so crazy. How am I to understand myself enough to actually change to look more like Jesus? And we're gonna get to, I think, the how here in a second, but I wanna talk, talk quickly through three dangers for us. I think, as I've thought through the three dangers that we're going to bump into as we start to move into this. The first, um, I think discipleship and the spiritual formation, the Christian life becomes just try really, really hard. Just try really hard to be a good person and you'll look more like Jesus. Here's the bad news. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do to be accepted before God. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus came to save people who knew they were broken and humbled by their lack of being good. So we, we, we fall on the grace and the mercy of God. And if your idea of following Jesus is to try really, really hard, you are not going to look more like Jesus. You're going to try to look like the best version of yourself and fail. We've talked to people who have had this story of, I tried that Christianity thing. I've tried faith before, but it just didn't work. I'm guessing most of those people, this is what they thought the faith was. I'm going to try really, really hard, and then they fail, which we all do. And then there's some frustration because it's like, oh, I I thought this was about trying really hard, and this isn't really fun because I'm failing all the time, and I feel guilty and shameful. I'm done with this. I'm going to move on to another belief system or worldview. And that is not, there's no grace in that. There's no mercy in that. So the first danger for us is just to make the Christian life about trying really, really hard. Now, I'm not saying effort isn't important. Effort is very, very important. But if effort is all you have, you will not look more like Jesus. Second danger. Um, This idea that we really don't have to do much. It's the let go and let God danger. And that let go and let God is nowhere in the Bible. Okay? To sit passively by and expect the Holy Spirit to work miracles in our life to change us into his image. It's not going to happen. Because the culture is too strong. Our flesh, our nature is still a part of us. And we will, if you don't put any work or effort into this, um, it's not going to happen. Uh, Dallas Willard, Willard, one of my favorite authors, says this, kind of about this idea. Grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace and effort aren't at odds. Grace and earning, our standing before God, are at odds. And that's a helpful distinction as you think through this. Another kind of cousin to this danger, I think, is this idea that you just have enough faith. Like it's just all about this war between between God and Satan. And if you just have faith that that God's going to do these miracles, then you're going to grow. And it's all about these power encounters and miracles in your life. And that kind of turns your faith into an idol. And so we all have these seasons where our faith's really, really weak. And we're having trouble believing and we're doubting. There's also seasons where our faith's really, really strong. We feel really good about our faith. And the Bible never says anything about the strength of our faith being the most important thing. It's the object of our faith that is most important. It's the whole point of the parable of the mustard seed. This mustard seed's tiny, little, little faith, a lot of doubt in this little mustard seed. But because the the object of this faith is Jesus, yeah, you can tell that mountain to go throw itself in the sea and it'll happen. Because the object of our faith is Jesus Not faith isn't this big idol that we say, let's just have enough faith and we'll look more like Jesus. Faith, but again, faith is important. Faith is very, very important, but it's not everything. Um, Third danger, and this is where I think uh, God's been working on me most right now, is that, um, like I said, I I know the gospel really well. Like I can articulate it talk about it all the time. Theological ideas, got it. Um, But yet there were parts of me that were still lacking formation. And here's the danger I think for a lot of us in this kind of stream of our church life and faith is that we can rehearse and know the basic beliefs of our faith and the gospel and have a lot of scripture memorized and never look more like Jesus. That's possible. And I think we need to be aware of that. Like big bobblehead dolls, like walking around with all this like theological truth and we can argue until the cows come home. But do we have the fruit of the Spirit? we loving other people well, we have peace, we have joy, we have these things that mark a disciple of Jesus. Now, transformation is not less than knowing. Knowing is very, very important, but transformation is so much more than knowing facts and be able to recite the gospel or large theological truths. Because if the accumulation of information and knowledge was everything, wouldn't the smartest person and the person with the most Bible memorized be the, the person who looked more like Je- most like Jesus? Like, let's really get down to it. Like, if you knew the best theology and the, the most Bible, then you would be at the top and looking like Jesus. And we know that's not the case. If you spend any time in third, third world countries, especially where the church is exploding around other brothers and sisters in the faith, they barely have Bibles, They don't have access to the theological um, uh, stuff. We have books, software, podcasts, sermons, all these things we have our fingers at to intake this knowledge. But, you know, these brothers and sisters, they're just as faithful as we are and sometimes, oftentimes more faithful than we are. So it can't be the accumulation of knowledge simply equals discipleship. Here's an example just from everyday life, just to make sure you understand this. You read a book on how bad sugar is for you. Anybody do that lately? Watch a documentary on Netflix, and you say, "Oh, never sugar again!" Oh my goodness, never. I'm never doing it again. Right now, I am never doing sugar again. Sunday morning comes around. You're walking to your car. Oh, custard factory. Uh. I mean, it's like it, you. It, you just you're. You know it's not good for you, but there's something that's stronger then all the bad stuff you just read about that sugar can do to you. So why do we still want sugar so much? It's deeper than our mind. It's deeper than our mind. Another example, it might say quiet time, 7 a.m. in the morning, you talk about looking at anxiety. Don't be anxious about everything. By prayer and petition, present your request to God. You're looking at Jesus talking about the flowers and the birds and how he takes care of them. So don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry, I've got this at 9 a.m., I get a text or email and I maybe read it the wrong way and I'm, I'm thinking someone's not happy with me. Someone thinks I did a bad job. Here goes the anxiety spiral down and I'm, 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 I'm worthless. I'm shameful. I'm not good enough. I'm, what's this person think of me? And two hours ago, I had this Bible memorized and I was in a good spot and it's not that I don't know. Don't be anxious. If there's something inside of me that is still lacking transformation in the area of anxiety. So if you think of this as knowing and then desiring and actually doing, sometimes we think if I know it, then it's just going to happen naturally in doing. If I just know this, then I'm going to behave like this. And we completely circumvent our heart, our desires. The thing that actually controls us most often. Think about things that I mentioned earlier. Striving for success. Logically, you know that it's probably not wise to overwork to the point that it costs you your health, costs you time with kids, costs you time with your spouse, costs you time with friends. You know that's probably not the right thing, but yet there's a compulsion that we continue to do it. Why? Because it's not all about the logic of it. Comparison. Yeah, I'm just. it's going to be really healthy for me for the next week to compare myself to these three people. I I always get joy when I compare myself to these people. It always ends well. So, no. Say, no, it's done. Why am I doing that? Well, because your heart wants that. I I, I want to be better than other people deep, deep down. Or I want to to find someone that I can compare myself to. No. It's our hearts. It's our hearts. The culture is pressing on us in these areas deep, deep down. So, once again, if you find yourselves like me, you're thinking, okay, great. I get it, Pastor Jeremy. How am I going to do this? What does it look like? What are the things I can do in in my day in and day out life to, and it's their full lives, busy lives, a lot going on. I get it. Jesus understands this. And I think he gives us clear directions here. Not easy. I didn't say easy. I said clear directions on how to do this. Look at John. Go over to John 15. We'll get there in a second. But we're going to kind of end here, pushing towards the conclusion. Set this up. John 14, there's a pivot point in the Gospel of John. He's, Jesus is beginning to move towards Jerusalem, and the cross. And in, in, in the beginning of chapter 14, he says this. It's kind of coming out of nowhere, but he says, don't be troubled. He tells the disciples, don't be troubled. And it's kind of a weird spot for it, but then once we read chapter 14, we get it. Oh, okay, now you're telling him. Because these guys, have, guys and girls have no idea what's about to happen. They don't. They have no clue what's about to happen and how their lives are going to be turned upside down by what's about to happen to Jesus. So he's telling them, don't be troubled. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending the comforter, the counselor, the one who's going to guide you and teach you all things and be there when I'm not here anymore to help you. Okay, so he's saying, he's getting this huge kind of robust theology of the Holy Spirit here to help them so when he is gone, they'll come back to this teaching and understand Okay, we're, we got it. We don't need to be troubled. I think a lot of us are maybe in that spot now. Like we never got to walk with Jesus in the flesh like the disciples did. But those of us who are in Christ, who have faith, we have the Holy Spirit in us now. And we, um, we're kind of in that same position. There, there's the world's pressing in on us. There's a lot to be anxious about in the world. It seems like the world's falling apart sometimes. You can just watch the news. If Jesus was here, he'd say, don't be troubled. Don't be in Why? Because I'm, God is sending someone, third part of the Trinity, God, Holy Spirit here. Okay? So this is what he says. And then I'm thinking he, at the end of chapter 14, he says, hey, let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere else. He's probably walking along. And I'm guessing Jesus is thinking here. I'm reading between the lines. He's probably thinking, I just laid all this massive truth on these guys. And they're probably going to be shook up. They may not remember this. What can I do to help them remember this? Then he goes immediately into John 15, one of his most famous parables, the branch and the vine. So he starts teaching this so that they will remember what he's just taught them. And we don't have time to go into all of it. It's it's an awesome passage. I just want to read verse 5. Just verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing? You can do nothing apart from him. Now, I don't think he's meaning literally do nothing. He's meaning in the spiritual sense and in, in the way our motives, our desires, how we honor God and how we live. You can't honor God the way God deserves to be honored and glorified by, unless you are abiding with him. Unless you're abiding with him. And this, this statement of you can do nothing just flies in the face of the American dream, right? Like, American dream is you can do anything. You work hard enough, you can do anything with Following Jesus, that's, there's so much more to working hard. And this is what I think a lot of us struggle with. This is such, such a good passage because I mean, even, even the sense he's using the vine. You know, like I always thought, I never saw this until this week, but he could have used any agriculture illustration, but he chooses a vine. Why? Because this is where wine came from. Like the sweetness and, and, the, and the pleasure that people got from drinking wine in that time. Of course, the vine is Jesus. It's sweet. It tastes good. It, 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 you know, all of those things, he chose the vine as the agriculture example, not just a tree. Because the, wine produces, the vine produces something. It produces wine. Um, so, he's saying the basic, t- the basic things of the faith, loving your enemies can't be done without abiding. Loving your neighbor can't be done without abiding. Glorifying God with our whole life can't be done without abiding. So abiding... And what I think Jesus is saying in the context that this is in is the key. This is, this is what it looks like practically to live the Christian life. But once again, abiding with that branch and vine illustration, the kind of the, the vine is doing all the work. The branches just produce the fruit. So what is our role in this? And this is what's really, really hard, but he gives the command to abide. So our role is to abide. That's it, just abide. But what does that look like? And this is the the crux of spiritual disciplines and why we teach classes and why we want to equip all around this idea of allowing us and helping us to abide more. But I want to give some practical things, like I said, to to help us close this. So three areas to think about. And I'm going to give you three. I don't know why I'm using so many threes today. I never do this. Three. Um, Three areas to think about. They'll be up on the screen. If you don't, just I think you remember things if you see them more, not just hear them. So the first is your mind. Your mind what do you think about most often? What do you daydream about? When you're not stimulated by anything, where where does your mind go? What's What's the background noise of your life, that soundtrack, what are the voices you're listening to? Is it your dad? Is it your mom? Is it your boss? Is it Satan? your flesh? Like, what, what are you listening to? Is it bringing shame upon you, or is it bringing life? Like, what's, what are you thinking about most often? Are you setting your, si- you're setting your eyes on God? Or are you setting your eyes on something else and what you think about? It? The mind is really important. What you set your mind on matters, okay? Your heart, what do you love? What do you treasure above everything else? What if you said, this, if I lost this, life wouldn't be worth living, and the theological, the, the appropriate answer here is Jesus. And we can't lose that. So if we lose anything, we'll be okay. As, as awful and as hard as that is to let your heart go there, allowing things to be, imagine things to be ripped away from you. But this is the point. What do you, do you love anything more than you love Jesus? One of my favorite books is a book called You Are What You Love. Back to Formation. What you love, what you bank your life on is probably changing you into a certain kind of person. Our desires from the heart are that strong. Lastly, our habits. What do you do consistently? A habit is something you do without really thinking about or at least there's maybe little effort required. This whole point of building in a habit. Like what do you consistently do? And how are those things changing? And that's just more of a question because we have habits we can do that set our mind on Jesus prayer, reading the Bible, observing a Sabbath, taking time to rest, fasting, silent solitude. All these things are habits that we can work into our life to allow ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus. How much time are you spending on social media? It's a habit. And habits are hard to break initially, like eating healthy. It's hard, it's hard at first, but if you do it for a while, it becomes easier. Same thing. These these things are forming us. Our bodies, if healthy, you're putting bad things in your body. Once you start to change that, your body gets healthier inside. So last three things to do this week and and then we'll be done. Again, I want this abiding can be very theoretical and I don't want this to be theoretical. I want you to have some takeaways. First is stop. That's exclamation point. Just stop. Stop the breakneck pace that some of you live at. And this is me. This is card-carrying member of the Work Yourself to Death Club, okay? Like, stop. Like, just rest. Just relax. Just, like, I'm not even talking about, like, leave, put the Bible aside. Stop the worship music. Don't be driving while you're doing this. Just stop for five minutes this week. Not five minutes every day. Just five minutes this week. And just pay attention to what you're feeling and where your mind's going. Because I guarantee you, this is, I think, this is where the rubber meets the road in transformation. What, what's playing in the background? And you're not going to know that until you stop everything. How good are you at listening to the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus just said in John 14, he's the one that guides you into all truth. He's the helper. He's the counselor. But I don't think we, sometimes we don't create space for him to do that. So first is just stop. Five minutes this week. Silence, solitude, stopping all activity. Just a little bit. Second, practice of community. We talk a lot about community here, family. Plug missional community. Missional communities are, 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 are smaller groups of people who get together during the week to live life and, and, and help each other grow up in our faith and be on mission. Um, community, I think I'm thinking more um, along these lines, but community is kind of a discipline, I think, in our day and age. like there are th- There's a lot about community that's hard. And there's a lot of things that kind of prevent us from really wanting to jump into community and give ourselves to other people in relationships. So if you've been around Providence Road for a while, and you're not not just attending a missional community one night a week, but actually giving yourself to these relationships. It is scary, but I would ask you, because this is a formation piece, why are you scared? Like, Why are you afraid to give yourself to community? I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Whatever that answer is, I think there, God wants to do some work in that, whatever that answer is. And community, I heard a pastor, it's, it's, it's like, a, we're like sponges. When you squeeze us, what is inside of us actually comes out. And community, I think, is a, it squeezes the sponge. Community reveals a lot about who we are and what we really value. Like our preferences, our selfishness. I don't want to, I, I don't really connect with those people. I mean, all of that is stuff that we need to bring before God and let him deal with. And I'm saying you can't try different groups and find one that fits best. I, it's fine. Do that. But when it comes down to it, nothing's going to be perfect in community. That's the purpose. It's a discipline that's going to shape us, inform us, if we trust ourselves to give ourselves to community. Third one. Last one. And this is some, an exercise that I've been doing that I think is very helpful. Um, it's called Plot Your Character Arc. And this is why, because I, I want things to happen quick. Like, if I want to change, I want to change in a couple of days. Like, give me the plan. I want to just change now to get this over with, okay? Now, Think twenty years ahead of time. So I'm I'm 25, um, I'm I'm 40, um, I'm 40. Um, I hate saying that. I haven't said that too often. I'm 40. I'm 40. Um, 20 years from now, I'll be 60, which is even uh, six, 20 years from now. Okay, sorry, six. I just I don't. This probably threw a lot of people. I'm so sorry. That was probably really rude of me. Anyway, 20 years down the road, just imagine who are you going to be? Who are you going to be in 20 years? What are you doing now that's going to form you into the person when you're 60? Let your mind go there. And are you doing the things today? Are you walking with Jesus in such a way that you're going to be transformed into the person you want to be when you're 60? The great thing about thinking that far out is it gives you plenty of time. It doesn't turn into this big overwhelming thing you have to do. It's baby steps. Just consistency, habits over time. So if you're 18 in here, God bless you, 18-year-olds. 18-year-olds, like when you're, maybe you don't think quite as far out, maybe five years, 10 years, but think far enough out to allow yourself to think about the, what you're doing today that's going to form you over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Close with this. I personally, when Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the full, I want that. But I don't live that. I don't, I don't, like, that's not, that doesn't characterize me. The well, the, 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 what the song was about. Jesus says, I, I am the well. That If you drink from this water, you'll never thirst again. Like, I, I want to I be drinking from the well where, I, where I'll never thirst again. When, when you talk about anxiety, do not fear. Do not be anxious. I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to just know the gospel and say, yes, I'm saved. I'm, I'm, I'm justified before God. But I want to actually experience the the marks of a disciple, fruits of the spirit, love, joy. Yes, please. Peace. Yes, please. Like, so we all want those things. Even if you're a non-Christian in here, you're an atheist, you want those things, I believe. Maybe you're looking for it in different places, but you want those things. So let's do some stuff. Let's work hard. Let's kind of, let's think about who we are And what we need to do, what some things in our life we can put in place that will form us and shape us into these kinds of people. Let's pray, Father. It's a huge topic, covered a lot. I just pray that um, that you would meet us all as individuals right now, and over when we take communion and we think through this a little bit. We're all in different places. We all have different issues and baggage and messes, and I just pray that you would help us go to those places. And we wouldn't be afraid, and we wouldn't be scared and anxious to let you do some business with us in those deep places. Because that is where the battle's won. That's where the battle's fought. We don't want to just know the gospel. We want the gospel to change us, and we want, it to, to, we want to be new creations and live that out. Have peace and joy and love people well. All of those things. So help us. Help us understand how to abide. Help us with uh, forming habits. Help us take our minds to you when our minds want to run elsewhere. We need help. We're going to humble ourselves before you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.